continue with our time uh, together this morning. I want to uh, welcome you here to Jericho Ridge. My name's Brad. I'm part of the teaching and the leadership team here at Jericho. And this fall, we are diving into a new teaching series called Unleashed, Living and Walking uh, in the Gifts of the Spirit. And when we think about this, we think about, and our minds go to uh, the book of Acts, chapter 2, where we read about uh, the birth of the early church. And in the early days, the Holy Spirit comes and unleashes the people of God for witness and for mission. And in that pivotal moment that's recorded for us in the book of Acts chapter 2, verse 17, there's an Old Testament prophet by the name of Joel who is quoted. And Joel says this in Acts 2, 17, In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. And in those days, I will pour out my spirit, even on my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy from the book of Joel. And they will prophesy. What does that actually mean? What is the gift of prophecy? And what does it look like when it is exercised? We're going to explore that together this morning. And for some of you, maybe you think, this is completely new territory for me. I've not heard this conversation before. Uh, This is unfamiliar to me. I'd invite you to just listen and receive and engage in the conversation as we process it together. For some of you, maybe this is a conversation that makes you nervous. You think back to some elements in your own uh, history, and you think, I'm not really confident about these things. And for me, that was part of my journey. I grew up in a setting where the gift of prophecy, and in fact, any gifts that were uh, gifts like prophecy, tongues, healing, any miraculous gifts, were not talked about at all. And in fact, the Holy Spirit was kind of de-emphasized a little bit. And then when I was 13, my family and I moved to Toronto, and I went to a Pentecostal high school connected with the largest charismatic church in Canada. And so we swung way to the other end of the pendulum on that one. And suddenly we're going on missions trips and people are going through the hallways at high school giving prophetic words for other students. I'm like, wow, this is all very new to me. And so I had to kind of think about it and process it and think, what do I believe about the gift of prophecy? Uh, Toronto Blessing was going on at that time. And so for me, I really had to, had to grapple with and come to a settledness about what does the New Testament teach us about gifts like prophecy? And then what, do, what does it look like to embrace that or to process that and, and figure it out? And I remember um, being in a meeting one time and somebody handed me their business card and underneath it, it said, Prophet as their, like, job title, as, like, this is way out. I don't even know, like, what's going on here. And then I began to think, 
how do you monetize prophecy? Like, how can this person make a living as a prophet? I don't understand any of this stuff at all. Uh, and then I remember uh, people giving prophetic words for other people, like, in six days, this is going to happen to you, and then it didn't happen. And I kept thinking, you know, in the Old Testament... When a prophet gives a prophetic word and it doesn't come to fruition, it's pretty clear they should be stoned. <laughs> we don't seem to be practicing that here. I'm not sure how we should go about wrestling with some of this stuff. And so it got very confusing for me, and maybe for you too. And so I want us to look together and explore what is the gift of prophecy? What does it look like? What do we not believe about it? Maybe what do we want to do about it? What do we believe about it? So I think one of the first things is just to clear away some of the maybe rubble and the stigma and some of the misconceptions uh, around the gift of prophecy. Because there's lots of misconceptions, I think, that uh, are alive and well about it. And one of the first things that often comes up as soon as you talk about the gift of prophecy is people say, oh yeah, that's right. That's that thing about telling the future. So, like this cartoon, for example, for 50 bucks, I predict your future, act now, I'll even throw in a few self-fulfilling prophecies. So, a misconception of the gift of prophecy is that it is about, always about forecasting or foretelling the future. And in the Old Testament, we get a, a wonderful and amazing tradition of the office of the prophets who act on God's behalf and oftentimes they do speak about the future and they speak prophetically foretelling what is to become. They predict the birthplace of Jesus and all of that stuff. And then we think about in the Old Testament, the actual prophets themselves, people like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Joel and Amos and all these minor prophets. And we think, wow, we read their stories. Those people are larger than life. Like that's just I could never even do anything like that. I've never had a predictive thought about the future that came true my whole entire life. And you think, well, that's not me then. I don't have any of those types of gifts. Or you think about people that run around all the time in uh, either the Christian world or outside and talk about predictive the future. The end of the world is nigh. In 2012, you know, it's gonna, the world is going to end or whatever date they pick. Uh, and, and they have this sense of, well... God told me about the future in this way. And we look at that and think, those people are total quacks. You know, I don't want to get involved in that way at all. If they call themselves prophets or that's a prophecy about the future. Well, it's a misconception that prophecy has to do with only about the future. So another misconception that uh, I got absorbed in was that prophecy was like only for the super elite Christians. It was like an advanced class. Super Christians maybe could step into the gift of prophecy, but like if you hadn't been a Christian for years, you shouldn't even attempt it. It would just be ridiculous. Uh, in my high school experience, you know, if you said things like you had the gift of administration, people would be like, oh, bless you, that's so nice. But if you said you had a gift of healing tongues or prophecy, whoa, you were in like a revered class of super Christians that people were very excited about hanging out with you. That gave you, like if you had a prophetic gift, that gave you status in the Christian community. You look good. Like this guy in this cartoon where 
the leader stands up and says, does anybody have a prophetic word for the church? And this was the moment Alan had grown his beard out for. <laughs> he wanted to look good, look prophetic in some way. The last stumbling block, though, that we need to address, not only thinking about, you know, it's not about foretelling the future, not just for those who are super Christians, but is that prophecy can be used in a manipulative way. And I think here about a setting that I was in, uh, not here at Jericho, but it was another church, and we were in a congregational meeting, and a very well-respected person stood up and said, I've had a prophetic vision that we should hire so-and-so for the church. And as you can imagine, right away discussion ground to a halt. Like I, I personally had some reservations about the person that they were talking about, but I thought to myself, I don't think it's, we're okay to have a conversation about this anymore because as soon as I say I have some reservations, I'm disagreeing with God <laughs> because God gave them a prophetic vision. And so when somebody comes and says, thus saith the Lord, with that kind of weight, prophecy can be manipulative. Prophecy is not about telling other people what to do. Look at this Peanuts cartoon, looking for reassurance, perpetually looking for reassurance. Charlie Brown has got his flower. She loves me. She loves me not. She loves me. And Linus calls it right away and says, I think it's difficult for me to believe that that flower has the gift of prophecy, Charlie Brown. <laughs> that that's going to tell you what to do, and you should just begin to walk into that. In other words, don't make prophecy into something of predictive life events for other people. We'll talk more about that later. So here's some misconceptions, and you could probably add your own to that list if you've had any experience with that. But we want to figure out what is the gift of prophecy actually all about. And if God wants to unleash it or unleash you or I in that gift, what would we need to know about it and what would we need to do. So remember last week we began by exploring together the definition of what a spiritual gift is. And we looked at 1 Peter chapter 4, we looked at Romans chapter 12 verse 1, and we saw that the definition of a spiritual gift is that it's anything that serves as a resource for ministry or an occasion for God's grace to be shown. That can be considered a gift of the Spirit. And so prophecy can be a wonderful place where God's heart and his wisdom and his grace can be shown to you. So let's look together at 1 Corinthians chapter 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 14 really is the core of the New Testament teaching on prophecy and its operation within the life of the church. And we're going to see this morning that prophecy has three components to it. And it also has three things that it always does. And then it has some things that it never does. And so it becomes clear then, a little bit more clear for us, what the gift of prophecy entails. And so just before we look into God's word in 1 Corinthians 14, uh, let's pray together. God, we thank you for this time that we have. We thank you that you are a God who speaks. We thank you that you give us ears to hear you speaking and that you're speaking to your church, you're speaking to individuals who are in relationship with you. 
And so, God, we want to open our ears and attune our hearts to hear what it is that you're saying to your church this morning. And so, Father, we thank you for your word. Your word guides us into truth. It's our standard for life and practice. And we want to walk in faithful obedience to what it is that you show us. And so, God, we pray for faith. Uh, We pray against fear. And we pray for clarity in our hearts and in our spirits and in understanding. In the name of Jesus, uh, who brings those things to us, in, in his name we pray. Amen. Man, all right, let's begin reading in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. We're going to read verses 1 to 5. Coming out of uh, 1 Corinthians 13, Paul, writing to the church in Corinth, says, Let love be your highest goal. So that's a good word for any beginning of any conversation on anything that has potential for controversy. But, says, you should also desire the special abilities or the spirituals, the spiritual things that the Spirit gives, especially the ability to prophesy. For if you have the ability to speak in tongues, you'll be talking only to God since people won't be able to understand you. You'll be speaking by the power of the Spirit, but it's all going to be mysterious. We'll talk about the gift of tongues next week. But one who prophesies strengthens others and encourages them and comforts them. A person who speaks in tongues is strengthened personally, but the one who speaks a word of prophecy is strengthening the entire church. And I wish that you all could speak in tongues, but even more, I wish that you could all prophesy. For prophecy is greater than speaking in tongues unless someone interprets what they're saying so that the whole church can be strengthened. And then he goes on uh, from there. So the Apostle Paul goes in the chapter in 1 Corinthians 14 into a lot of descriptive detail about both the gift of prophecy and the gift of tongues. But let's start at the beginning of what he's trying to communicate to us here. And that is, what is prophecy? What is the gift of prophecy? What would, how would we define it? If we didn't have hang-ups and history and all the bad images stuck in our minds, if we were just trying to say, what does the Bible say to us about the gift of prophecy, what would we come up with? And the simplest definition, I think, is this. We're talking about prophecy. We're talking about something very simple and not scary. God speaking to us, and then God speaking through us to others. What is prophecy? Prophecy is simply God speaking to us, and then God speaking through us to others. But remember, this is a gift that the Spirit is unleashing. And so it's supernatural. It's not merely an I think that kind of experience. So there's three parts that are going to come together to make up the gift of prophecy. To define and shape what God is speaking to us and then through us. So the first part is a revelation. That God is making something known. And this can happen in a number of ways. This can happen through maybe a picture that God puts into your mind. Might be a verse that God brings to your heart. Might be an impression that you have about an individual or a situation. Might be a sensation. It could be all kinds of ways that God reveals something of his heart to you. And it's something that, again, God is doing. And God is stirring up. So let me give you an example. Last night, uh, a friend emailed me and that they said, I have, a, I have a picture 
um, at, of Jericho Ridge this morning. And she said, the picture that I got was, it was like it was a gold nugget just above everyone's head. And God was saying, the gold is there. You need to reach high enough. Don't settle for anything less. Um, just reach for it. Wasn't mind-blowing at all. She said, I just had a picture that that's what God was saying uh, about this morning for you guys at Jericho. Or when we were praying in pre-gathering prayer, Anita said, hey, would you, would you pray for me? Both personally and then the place that I work. We, we're just experiencing some challenges. And so I just need prayer. And so we said, all right, what's on God's heart? And we just paused to listen. And God gave different people verses to share, words of encouragement, a picture uh, that they were able to speak out in faith. And the encouragement comes through that because it's something that God revealed. It's something that's on God's heart to share with you or with that other person. I mean, for me, it was incredible encouragement when I opened my inbox this morning and this person had been up at 3 a.m. praying and this is a picture that God gave them. And oftentimes, you know, if I prayed for you or with you, um, you'll know that sometimes the Lord will, will I'll say, I just think I have a picture that, the, that the, uh, maybe God uh, gave an impression or a particular passage will come to mind and we'll pray it out. So that's part one. That's the revelation that God can give to you. That's just the first part of that gift though. So that, that's part one. Second part is though, the interpretation of that. It's all fine and good to get a picture, but what in the world does it mean? What's it all about? Because see, God's not a God of riddles and confusion. He doesn't want to give you this sort of crazy obtuse picture and then the person be waiting and saying, all right, well, what's, what's the Lord trying to say to me? And be like, I don't know at all. Uh, and you walk away from there just going, ah, that's really confusing. Now, sometimes the interpretation doesn't come right away. You got to press into it or pray into it what it means. And the hard part can be waiting on God. That's a hard part for me because I'm a kind of quick to action kind of person. So oftentimes when God gives me a picture for somebody and I'm praying, I think to myself, ah, yes, I know exactly what that means. And sometimes I have to wait and the Lord say, you don't have a clue what that means, Sumner. <laughs> you just need to wait and not rush in with your presumptions about what that means or looks like. Because the cautionary note is it can be very easy for us to interpret that picture or that impression or that verse through our own experience or through our own wisdom. And then we can start adding to it. And suddenly we're preaching a whole sermon at the person. And the Lord's like, I just gave you a picture to share with them, to encourage them. I need you to unpack the whole counsel of Jesus for them in four hours. Be careful not to add to it. Be careful not to subtract from it. Sometimes God will give you a picture and you just think, that's crazy. That's really bizarre. It has nothing to do with this situation at all. And so you try and tame it down and think, oh, I don't want to share that. If I step out and share that with that person, they're going to be like, that nah, means nothing to me. I got nothing. Sorry about that. Or be careful not to assume that you know what that means already. Never assume that you know the interpretation because it might be simple. Keep asking and pressing into God's heart for that. What does it mean what God has given you to share with that other person? And I love 
how creative God can be with this and how much of a sense of humor sometimes that God seems to have uh, in this category. I can remember once uh, about maybe 12 years or so ago, this is at North Langley, and we had invited a, a gentleman to come from the Philippines to teach uh, for a season on a prophetic ministry, and his name was Pastor Jerome Ocampo. So after teaching through this for a while, he said, okay, we're going to practice this. I want you to just pair up with a person that's sitting beside you, and I want you to just spend time praying and asking God for a picture in your mind for that person, and then I want you to just share that with the person, the picture that God gave you. And so I can remember these two guys, and their eyes got really big, and they were like, this is the stupidest thing I have ever done at this church. Why did we come to this thing anyways? Why probably our wives made us come, dragged us out to this thing. So they're like, fine, we'll do it. Fine, fine, fine. So they turn to each other, and they're like, okay, <clears throat> what do you say? He said, oh yeah, we're supposed to listen, ask for a picture. He's like, then the one guy even said to the other, before he closed his eyes and prayed, he's like, this is stupid, just so you know, right? We're not going to get anything. This is dumb. So <clears throat> he closes his eyes, he waits, and he goes through, and other people around are sharing, oh, the Lord gave me this picture, and the other person is, oh, thank you, that's so powerful, and all this, and he's listening. And so finally he opens his eyes and says to the other guy, <clears throat> I don't know, it's pretty dumb, but um, like when I close my eyes, I had this picture of a tropical island and there was a white flower on it. That's all I've got. And the other man begins to weep uncontrollably. <laughs> and uh, the guy that shared this is like, uh, <laughs> I'm not sure what's going on right here. And he's like, what? Why is that meaningful to you? I didn't even give you an interpretation. I just saw a picture of this island. And the man between his sobs says to him, you know, I've just been praying. Uh, my, my daughter, only daughter, has just left home and she's gone on this mission experience for a long term and she's gone to a warm, like a tropical island and I've just been so fearful that she's been alone and that like I've been afraid and I've been alone and you know, her name is Lily and, uh, and the guy's like, yeah, the white flower was a lily. And he's like, and I just feel like when you shared that, that God was just saying to me, she's going to be okay. And he's crying. And then the other guy starts to cry. And these two big burly men who've never stepped in anything like that before are like, okay, maybe God was giving us something there. But God just sometimes has a sense of humor with that. Gives this guy this picture of something that's totally bizarre but he had to actually have the faith to actually speak that out and to trust that then the interpretation was going to come through that process. And so then that's a third part of it, is the application. Revelation, interpretation, and third, application. Like, why has God given this particular word to this particular individual for this time? What is it for? Who is it for? And what is should you do with it? And this is part of where it gets into the tricky part and also where just by our human fallacy and frailty, we can screw it up. Because sometimes God gives you something and it's for now. You should share it right away. Sometimes God gives you something and it's totally for later. And so you need to hold it. Sometimes for years. 
Sometimes God gives you something and it's for another person. And so you got to exercise wisdom and say, God, is this for me? Is this for this person? Who, who's it for? And so when we begin to pray and listen for the Lord's desires for that person, then you need to ask, okay, God, why have you given this particular picture? Then you know what to do with it. Now, there's a few things, though, that can be helpful for us as you begin to think about revelation, interpretation, and application. Because there's a few things that the text teaches us that prophecy always does, and then some things a prophecy never does. So there's three things a prophecy will always do. Look at 1 Corinthians 14, in chapter, uh, chapter 14, verse 5. Prophecy equipped and exhorts. So this is a gift, again, that's been given not just for your personal or individual encouragement, but a gift that's been given to the church to equip and to strengthen. And it's expected in 1 Corinthians 14, 26, that when we gather in some way, that this will happen in some form. And so one of the ways in which a prophetic gift can be exercised uh, when it's equipping and exhorting is through preaching that a, it can be to encourage, to strengthen, and God says, here's a word for the church. Through the scriptures, speak it out, equip, encourage, strengthen, exhort. And maybe when you get together in your life group or in another place, you have to believe that God will reveal his heart to you and work under the promptings and movement of the Holy Spirit. When you ask God for a word, this is the first thing you can say. God, is this a word that would exhort or equip this person. Prophecy is going to do that. The second thing that prophecy always does is in verse 3 of chapter 14. It always encourages and comforts. It strengthens the individual. It's not going to be, when I first heard people talking about prophecy and then some of the abuses of it, people were running around going, friend, the Lord has revealed to me a secret sin that's in your life and they'd say this in front of the whole chapel at school. I was like, I never want to have the gift of prophecy. I never want that person to prophesy over me. I would prefer to keep those things just private. But prophetic words, they might challenge you, but they're going to encourage and comfort and strengthen you in faith. So I'm going to ask Chris if he would uh, come up and share a little bit of, of a story and an experience that he had as he uh, began to experience this. Uh, and in, in his words, he uh, grew up in, the, in a different faith tradition, a CRC, and he's like, so this is the story of a, a CRC boy who then began to observe and see what the gift of prophecy uh, began to look like. Sure. So Chris, would you share a little bit of your story? with us. Okay. Thanks, Wally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So... Um, as Brad was saying, I grew up in a, a fairly conservative uh, uh, church, and so when I went off to college, I went off to a uh, Pentecostal 
uh, college. And so first semester, we're in this class. There's about 250 people in there. And the Lord starts tugging on my heart right in the middle of class. It's just normal class. And uh, he's like, I want you to get up. I want you to go stand beside the principal who's doing the lecture right now. I'm like, there's no way that's happening. <laughs> there's like 250 people in this room. I'm not doing that. And But it just got heavier and heavier on my spirit. And I went, you, this, is, this is actually crazy. Like, I can't do that. And so all of a sudden, it, God is a good father does sometimes. He says, I'm going to count to three. And I went, oh boy, one. It's like, okay, well, I'm not going to let it get to three, so I might as well just stand up, because I know I'm going to get up at three anyway, so I might as well get up at one. So I stood up, and I was like, this is happening. And I look around, there's like 20 other people just stood up at the same time I did. And so I just started walking to the front, and everyone else was walking up to the front. And I went, okay, what did I just sign up for now? Apparently, because I wasn't even listening to what he was saying, he was saying, we're going to believe for the impossible to happen today. We're going to have people who have never prophesied over someone before is now going to prophesy into people's lives right now. And I was like, oh boy, I don't even know what this actually means. And so here we are standing 20 people up at the front. He called people in the audience, in the, in the, in the class to say, why don't you stand up if you've never been prophesied over before? And so about 20-ish people stood up and so I'm third in line. First person uh, uh, is encouraging and stepping out and, and, uh, and prophesying over someone and just really encouraging and speaking life into them. And I thought, that's really good. Like, like that's a good place to start. I, I could do that, definitely, right? Second person does this. Pick someone. I'll prophesy over them. <laughs> and I was like, we're going kamikaze. This is crazy. Like, I'm like, I, I can't do this. Right, and so, and it was really encouraging. He spoke some pretty amazing words over over this girl, and and everyone was like, "Oh my goodness, how did he know it was her?" Like, it was pretty phenomenal. And it comes to me, and I'm like, "Well, I'm not doing that." So, why don't you just pick someone, and I'll I'll start speaking over the life. And so I I did, and 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 the principal says, "Just encourage, and then step into it." And so I start. I there was a guy's name was Michael. I didn't really know him, and I just started to encourage him, and then the Lord started to do something in my heart and in my spirit. And the principal's like, step in. So, so I, I just stepped. I didn't know what else to do. I just took a step. And all of a sudden, the Lord met me there, and I started to speak into his life about his family and about his mom. And he started weeping there right in front of me. And so I took another step forward towards him because what God was doing was so good, and he was, he was being so ministered to. I didn't, to be honest with you, I don't even remember a whole lot of what I said. But it was God speaking through me in that situation. And, uh, and so that was finished. I prayed for him, and I got back, and I stood in line, and we, and we continued on. And I thought, wow, like, God, you're doing something pretty amazing here. I've never experienced this in my life. I've never seen it done, ever. But you did something pretty cool here because I was willing to get rid of myself to step into something that you had, have said to do. And so it went on, and... Everyone who was prophesied over then sat down and sat down and sat down. And, uh, and so the principal's like, okay, great, we're going to move on. And there was still one guy standing at the back. And he had moved on, and I was like, we must not see, some, must not see him. So I kind of stopped and I said, excuse me, like, we, haven't, we missed someone. And he, the principal's like, oh, okay, we missed him. Who wants to prophesy over this person? Dead silence. And I went, 
oh boy, I guess that's me. I'm the one that saw him, so it must be me. And so he gave me the microphone, and all of a sudden, God just started pouring images into my head for this, for this guy. And I, I started saying, you know, you've been standing there, but no one has seen you, and you think that no one sees you, and you think that God doesn't see you, but he does see you, and he loves you, and he cares for you. And he started weeping. He could barely stand, and everyone rushed around him to pray for him. And it was one of the most powerful moments I've ever experienced of the presence of God. And it was because I decided that it wasn't about me, it was about God, and it was about encouraging that person. And it wasn't a condemning thing. It was pouring life into that person. And I learned a lot through that. It was a, quite a phenomenal uh, a story. And so um, I couldn't have initiated it, you know? I couldn't have said, this is, I'm going to make this happen in this moment. But the presence of God was working in that place. And I put my hand up and I said, yeah, God, I'll be used. Use me, yeah. right? I'm going to let my, push myself aside for that. And let you work through me in that. So, Amen. Well, let's yeah. thank Chris for sharing his story and give glory to the Lord for doing that. So, yeah, right on. So sometimes we can think of it as just, oh, I'm just speaking, encouraging or praying for that person. But I think Chris's story exemplifies for that. Start there and then step into it. Say, all right, Lord, is there something that you want uniquely to impart through me to this person? in this encounter. Because prophecy is designed to strengthen and encourage. And then the, th the other thing that prophecy always does is it grows faith. It builds faith, both in the life of the one speaking it out. Say, yeah, this was an incredible experience that God used to stir faith in my heart. And then also the incredible faith that it stirs up in the life of somebody who says, you know what? There was no way that person could have known that except that the Spirit of God revealed that to them. And that's where Paul goes at the end of 1 Corinthians 14 is he says, someone comes into your gathering and something like that happens and they have to say, you know what? Surely God is in this place. Only God could do something like that and speak so precisely, so lovingly, so directly and uniquely personally to that individual in that way. And so prophecy grows faith. It points believers and unbelievers to God. Because prophecy is simply that posture of listening to what it is that God is saying and stirring and then speaking out what it is that God is saying to you. And so while in the Old Testament that looks very differently whether it's foretelling or the office of the prophet. In the New Testament, remember Joel's prophecy says, my spirit's going to be poured out on all flesh and they shall prophesy. And so I can think of times in my life where it's been incredibly used to stir my faith to believe that God is doing something in another person's life. I can think about times in my own life where I've been very discouraged and one of the things that God has used powerfully is a prophetic word of encouragement. So much so that some of them, I've kept them. Uh, like I keep them on my phone. Or I'll take a picture of it if somebody wrote something out for me. And then in a time or season of discouragement, I'll just return to that and say, you know what? I knew that the Lord gave this to me as a word of encouragement 
Uh, or uh, another example, uh, just if somebody is saying, is it okay if I uh, give you a, a prophetic word, then I'll just put my phone down and say, can I record that and tape it? And then just play it back at another time. Because it can be used incredibly by the Lord to build faith. And so those are the exciting and positive things about the gift of prophecy. But the gift of prophecy, like any gift that God gives, can be misused and abused. And so there's some cautionary notes that Paul lays out for us in 1 Corinthians 14. And they're not with a view to shutting it down or, or um, squelching faith, but it's with a view that the gift would be exercised and unleashed in ways that are appropriate. Because prophetic words have caused a lot of hurt and harm in our world and woundedness for people. And so we have to acknowledge that aspect of things. But there are also things that can creep in that are not of God. And so there's things that prophecy will never do. And so if in an encounter, someone is giving you a word of encouragement, sharing a scripture with you, whatever that's going to look like in this setting, if something of these things happen then you need to just call a flag on the play and say, hold on, friend. Um, There's teaching around this in the scriptures. Prophecy is not going to do these things. So here's a few things that prophecy will never do. Prophecy will never control or manipulate the other person or the church. I told you earlier that story about that individual saying that, oh, God told me this or that. That language is so stark, and I don't find it helpful because then it, it's going to be used to, it has a potential to be used to control or manipulate. Well, God told me that we needed to do this and that and the other thing. Just even the way that you say it, if it's a control or manipulation issue, that puts a lot of pressure on the person receiving that prophetic word. So generally, it's better to say things like, I have a sense that. Or, I feel that. And the other general rule, so that you steer clear of control or manipulation, is no mates, babies, or dates. All right? So no running around prophesying about, you know, I have a vision from the Lord that you're going to be my future spouse. No mates, no dates. Don't run around and say, oh, in six months, Jesus is going to do this for you. Such and such will happen. And no babies. I, you know, Just steer clear of all that kind of stuff. It's not a biblical instruction that Paul gives. It's just kind of common sense. It's just good prophetic etiquette. Right? No babies, dates, or mates. So prophecy, if it starts to get into those places, just say, that's not what prophecy is designed to do. Another thing prophecy does not do is it doesn't replace the Holy Spirit. So you can't say, well, I just, I don't hear from the Holy Spirit, so until I get a prophetic word on that from somebody else, I'm just not going to move on anything. You still need to listen to God for you. Because prophecy does not remove personal accountability. It doesn't take that away. Sometimes God will give you a word through somebody else, and you still have to walk it out in obedience, You still have to fight for it or chase it down. It's not just this passive kind of, well, I got no personal accountability because that person gave prophetic words, so clearly that's what God wants to do. So I'll just sit back, cool my heels, and then whatever God chooses to move doesn't remove that level of you 
continuing to step out in faithful obedience. It's not designed to create just complete passivity. The other thing that prophecy never does, it doesn't happen in isolation and without discernment. Over and over again in the New Testament, when there's a prophetic word, it's tested. It's, it's weighed. And so that cre- that's um, a discernment. And the applications of it are to be tested. We ask God to confirm it. Ask people around us that are trusted in wisdom and that have gifts of discernment or interpretation to join us in that process. The other thing prophecy does not automatically do is it does not automatically give you prophetic authority. You don't get to put it on your business card that you now are, because God's given you a word for somebody, you're like, yes, I have prophetic authority in all times and all places. Whatever I say is just clearly Jesus speaking through me. No. Friends, exercise wisdom and humility. God may choose to activate this gift in your life, but it's a ministry that's bathed in humility and in accountability. And so it's never to be used to breed division or this sense of class structure in the life of the church. So how would we test it? How would we know then if some of these things were happening? Well, prophecy does not do. So if you were here at Jericho and you came and said, you know, I feel like I have a prophetic word, there would be a process that we would use to discern that together. And that's part of the strength of walking and living in community together. So I'll put up on the screen some of the questions that we would ask as uh, leadership if God was speaking by his spirit and we're each capable of listening and responding and actively participating. So here's some guidelines for community discernment. First thing we would ask, does this word line up with scripture and what we know of God's heart and his character? Because God, if he's speaking by his spirit, he's done that in various times in various ways. And so we're going to immediately test it with scripture and say, does that sound like something? Is there congruence with what God has done and is doing and God's character? The second thing we would say is, does this prophecy actually build up and encourage or does it go offside? Does it feel manipulative or coercive in some way? We'd say, does this, does this word bring peace and joy to the spirit of the person who's receiving it, even if it's very challenging for them? Because prophecy is not all just rainbows and unicorns. Sometimes God can use it to really speak truth into your life. And you have to then maybe call it, uh, calling to account something that God has been speaking to you about obedience or an area of disobedience. And so it might challenge you But does it still come with that sense of, yeah, I know that this is the Lord speaking? Does the spirit, attitude, or lifestyle of the person delivering that prophetic word represent Christ? Do they have some kind of a, uh, from what you know of their life, a track record of walking with God? And is it delivered in a spirit of humility and accountability, inviting it to be affirmed and confirmed and validated by others? Then also we would just say, as you wait on the Lord, as you heard, felt like you heard God speaking to you about that, what further clarification or action steps do you feel like God is saying to you? So, as an example of that, this week Pastor Wally was reading and praying and God gave him um, a sense of uh, a block of homes. And now they're in the search for a house. And so 
uh, he uh, came and said, hey, I feel like God gave me this, this um, sense around this block of homes. And so we immediately drove up there together to look at those homes. And my first thought was, yes, that's right. They're selling their house. So of course God would give him a picture of a block of homes. Maybe this is the block that they're supposed to live on. And so in, in my natural kind of desire to connect the dots, I was like, yeah, that must be it. Let's just start praying for that God would give them one of these homes. And then I felt like God was saying, um, hey, Brad, that's just being a little presumptuous. I have not told you or Wally why I gave him this picture. So you guys just need to pray. So we drove up there and we just sat in the car and we're like, all right, Lord, why did you give Wally this picture uh, and this particular block of homes? And we listened, kept asking God for discernment. And as we did that, we both had an impression about the homes on that block. And I said, well, I don't know, you know, I just have an impression, just a word, uh, a single word that is the word drought. And I don't know what it means because all these people like the, like, look, look like they've kept their lawns pretty well watered over the course of the summer, but I don't know, maybe it's, maybe it's spiritual drought, maybe it's, I don't know, let's just keep praying and asking the Lord for that. We sat with it for a bit, Lord didn't give us anything more, so we drove on to our next thing that we were doing and asked God for clarity. And later that afternoon, Wally came and said, you know, I've just been praying and I feel like, you know, a, a little bit of additional clarity. After drought, what comes is just something dries up and it dies. You know, maybe, maybe there's, there's something significant happening in either the lives of one of those people. Um, and so just the word death came to my mind. And so then we just, again, said, okay, Lord, we want to pray. You know, what's going on in the lives of those people that live in there? And so we kept praying about it. That's all that the Lord gave us. So we're like, all right. We just moved on to the next thing. Now, we keep trusting that the Lord will give more insight and wisdom. I've walked that block a couple of times now over the last few days and just asked, said, Lord, I'm going to keep testing those things that you told us and showed us. Still don't know what that means. Still don't have an action or an interpretation. So we just wait until the Lord gives us something more to do. So that's that last one in there. God, what further clarification or action steps do you want to call us into? We don't know that. It's in process. And so sometimes you just have to sit with it for a while. So you might ask yourself, well, why in the world park it for a whole morning on then the notion of prophetic gifts in a series like this? Well, the reason for that is I think that God has given you maybe many of you, prophetic gifts. Because remember, in 1 Corinthians 1, the very way that Paul begins his instruction to this church is he says, you should desire the ability to prophesy. You should ask God for it. it. should be in 1 Corinthians 14, 39. Paul says, I, I want you to be eager to prophesy. And so, if that's, the instruction that's given, then you might have a prophetic gift. But there's things that are going to block you from walking that out. Maybe your misconception list doesn't match my misconception list. You have your own baggage around that or your own negative experiences in it or preconceived notions of it. Some of you believe that if you try this, and you step into it like Chris did, that God will fail you horribly and you will look bad and God will look bad. And so you shut it down. Some of you believe that you're inferior and that God would never 
want to give you this gift because you just don't have what it takes. And you're not worthy for God to give you this gift. Some of you believe that because you haven't seen, heard, or felt the miraculous outpouring of the Holy Spirit, that none of this stuff is for you. Some of you believe that, well, you know, I tried that once, Brad. I had somebody pray over me for a prophetic gift. Nothing happened, and so it's just done. I don't think this is for me. Friends, I want to challenge you to reach for it. Prophecy is just a very natural outworking of listening to and spending time in God's presence. It's a relationship, because in a relationship, what happens is the other person shares what's on their heart with you. And so when you're sitting with somebody at Jericho or in your home or in whatever setting you find yourself in, you're actively listening and saying, God, what's going on in this person's life? What, how can I encourage them? How can I equip them? How can I, do they want to be strengthened in some way? And then you're in relationship with God, and so God's saying, yes, I do want to encourage and strengthen this person. And that might be the moment where God shares what's on his heart for that person. And you might think, okay, I might, I may even be to the place where I desire it, maybe just a little bit. How do you even get started in something like that? Well, maybe in this type of a setting, in a larger context, it doesn't feel safe for you to actually practice your gift. And I totally get that. You know, I can remember being petrified in a setting where other people were around, I didn't feel like they knew me very well, and so they might judge me if I said something in a particular way, and what if I got it wrong, and I would look stupid, and, you know. Remember Chris's story. The first thing that God had activated in his heart was the faith to actually believe that this is what God was going to do, that God was moving. And so maybe for you, that's the place where you need to start. You might need to start in repentance and say, God, I just need to confess to you that I have not believed that you could, should you so desire, pour this into my life. And so maybe you just need to start there. For some of you, you say, okay, I might want to actually start working this out a little bit, but I would need a safer environment than a big context like this. Fantastic. You can come to what has now become known since Pastor Wally announced it as such last weekend, the Petri dish at our house on Thursday evenings. I'm deeply offended by it, but I prefer the word learning lab, but you know, Petri dish, if that works for you, um, come to our house on Thursday nights. We're going to, as we go through this whole series, we're just going to take it one week at a time and just talk about what questions did, you, did stirred up in your heart, in your life. Do you want to try it? Let's step into it a little bit and, and practice it. We'll walk through questions and hang-ups. We'll do a few exercises to see if this is a gift God might be releasing in and through you. And it might not be. But it might be fun. You might fail horribly, but we'll create a safe environment so that you can at least explore that together. So we've got a few people like Sachi and Anne-Marie and Rebecca are already coming. And it's going to be the most fun you've ever had in a Petri dish. You can tweet that. You may not actually be able to come out. You're like, oh, shoot, I would really want to, but I just can't. Thursdays, I work, or whatever. That's fine. How would you go about unleashing and stepping out into a prophetic gift? Let me give you four suggestions, and then we're going to move into a time of responding to God in faith. The first one is always, 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 with any gift, first and foremost, seek the giver of the gift, God, 
before you seek the gift itself. Seek the giver before you seek the gift. Otherwise, you get into the danger of sensationalism or, oh, I want that. That seems really cool or important or I'd love to encourage somebody that way. Seek God. People with prophetic gifts tend to know God's word well. It just comes out of them when they speak it. Or God's taking them to places in the scripture, reminding them of verses or passages. And prophetic words are going to be consistent, again, with God's already given revelation. And so, if that's something that you want to stir up and pursue, spend time with God in his word. Life journal. We're in 1 John right now, uh, this last week. And I've often found this week, as God has been, I've been doing my life journaling, then I'll just, at the end of that, say, God, is this for me today or is this for somebody else? And sometimes God will say, this is for somebody else. So when you come into contact, just I'm always looking and thinking and saying, okay, God, how can I encourage somebody with this word from 1 John chapter 4? Emailing it to somebody or texting it to somebody. But get to know God in his word. And oftentimes you'll just speak out of that. The second thing is learn to listen. Learn to listen. Because any prophetic word that you have, any prophetic gifts that God pours out are going to be the byproduct of God speaking to you. And so don't rely on formulas or tradition. This is not about, okay, Brad said it might be an image or a picture. Like, okay, I should try and manufacture, get into that. No, just ask the Lord, God, I need to learn to listen to you more carefully so that then I would know whether this is something to speak into other people. Each time you seek guidance of the Holy Spirit for the situation that you're, fa- you're facing. So learn to listen well. And then learn to wait. This is a hard one for me. Because you have to guard against being presumptuous. Oh, oh, yeah, I know what this is all about. Just wait. Just like you wait to listen, wait, be slow to speak. And then the fourth one is practice walking in responsive obedience. Whether it's simple or whether it's extremely difficult. Because you see, God doesn't share what's on his heart And then somehow after he shares it, you decide whether you want to hear and obey what it is that God has shared and told you. Before you get there, you say, okay, God, if you're going to reveal something to me, I want to walk in responsive obedience, even if it's difficult or even if it's really simple. Practice walking in responsive obedience. And sometimes when God is stirring this gift up in your heart, he will give you the most simple things to do. You'll be driving and God will say, turn left here. And you're like, uh, why? It's like, just do it. Just test an obedience. Are, are you willing to walk in obedience in the most simple and small things? Because that's not going to take you into something massively difficult and ask you to be faithful with much if you're not even going to be faithful to walk in responsible obedience with little. So, what's the takeaway for this morning at the risk of being highly oversimplistic? Prophecy comes down to two basic things. And the first one is this, believe to receive. You actually have to have faith that God is speaking and that God is speaking to you. And then the second part is dare to share. Believe to receive, dare to share. Because it takes courage to speak it out. 
This can be scary. You walk out in faith and dare to share what God is revealing and spoken to you for another person. They can reject it and say, I don't want to hear that. They can say, I think you're crazy and out to lunch. But so often, prophecy is such a rich source and powerful source of encouragement and blessing to people. So wouldn't it be just like the enemy to shut it down and make us all crazy weird about it? So that the encouragement and blessing that God wants to pour into your life gets stymied by disorderly conduct or by all kinds of stuff. Don't rob others of the opportunity to hear from God through you just because you're too chicken to step out in faith. Because friends, here at Jericho Ridge, we want to see God unleash his spirit and walk in fullness of the things that he has given us for the purpose of seeing lives transformed and bringing glory to God. And as we learn to walk in that journey, it's not in our own strength and it's not certainly not about us. It's about what God desires to do in and through us. And so Megan and the team are going to come and they're going to lead us in a time of response. And it's a two-pronged response this morning. The first thing is in 1 Corinthians 14, it encourages us to be eager for this gift. And so if you want to hear God more clearly this morning, I'm going to ask you to come to the sides to be prayed for. And we're going to lay our hands on you and we're going to ask that God would give you this gift. 1 Timothy chapter 4 talks about don't neglect the spiritual gift you received through the prophecy spoken over you when the elders of the church laid their hands on you. And so certainly you can come for prayer for other reasons, but if you want God to stir faith up in your heart and you say, I just need someone to pray for me, that God would actually pour this gift out into my life. We'd pray, love to pray for you and wait on the Lord together. You may need to spend time in repentance first and and talking with God about some of the hang-ups that you have around that. But seek God for this gift. And then the second emphasis would be to just release people to listen to God for a prophetic word for another person in the church. And if God gives you a person and a picture or a verse, just head over to them and share it with them. Because prophecy really is as simple as believing to receive and then daring to share.